0: Don't you see you've only me to make deals with now? Build my gallows
1: high, baby. Hi, and welcome to Friends at Dusk, a Christopher Nolan filmography podcast. I'm your co host, Marshall Doig.
0: And I'm Jake Harris. And tonight we are going to be talking all about film noir and how that relates to Christopher Nolan's first movie, Following.
1: Yeah, I guess before we dive in, I guess we'll talk about any Nolan-adjacent things happening currently. You got anything?
0: I do not, but I saw you uh, picked up the Tom Hardy article.
1: Yeah, it just flashed up on a story on Instagram for me today. Tom Hardy is apparently going around secretly entering jujitsu tournaments and winning them. Mm -hmm. So, life imitating art.
0: He's really actually Bane. Who knew that? <laughs> Is he prepping for like Warrior Two or uh, another movie like that?
1: <laughs> maybe it's uh, maybe
0: it's the next Venom movie. Who knows? Oh god, <laughs> that would be that would be pretty great actually. Are they going to do like a Venom Morbius crossover? I haven't seen Morbius yet. I don't know if that's a thing in the works. Maybe it's you're it's, asking
1: knows? the wrong guy. <laughs> I am. I'm so behind on
0: marvel as to basically not be in the loop so the the sony marvel stuff is just it's like its own crazy beat it's funny but the first venom is a fun time it's insane and like it's a movie that knows what it is and it knows that it's just fun craziness I haven't seen the second one yet but supposedly that's what Morbius is as well but I still haven't seen that one but it's on Netflix now so I don't have to actually like pay pay to see it so I'll probably check that out here soon
1: I'll just add it to my uh, never ending Uh. backlog add it to the the watch list Mm -hmm. and try to eventually get caught up until I'm dead (laughs) but another thing that I have another Nolan adjacent thing is uh well a little precursor to this story is that last week i had to make an unexpected road trip uh mm-hmm. there and back it was about a five-hour drive each way in the car with yeah. with the two kids just for a family matter mm-hmm. things are all good for now but it was a pretty draining time so i get home get the kids into bed, trying to decompress. And my wife has sent me a link to a post that she saw of all things in a story, Instagram story. And it was a joint post from at goosebumps cinema and at the underscore good films. And it was just a happy birthday post to Hans Zimmer. Cause apparently his birthday was last oh, week. Yeah. So happy yeah. birthday mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer. And their post was, you know, here's a bunch of his scores. Which one's your favorite? And the first clip was from Interstellar. So it was just cutting a bunch of shots together uh, with some of the music cool. from it. And the weight of the past two days just crashed down on me while uh, I heard yeah, the, the music. Good. And I see Matthew McConaughey crying and I just lost it for a bit. So I can already tell once we get to Interstellar, I'm going to probably repeat this the whole time until we actually get there. It's going to destroy me completely. Oh, and yeah.
0: I, uh, that movie destroyed me and I, I don't even have kids and, uh, I don't know what it's like to watch that, uh, while having kids or like being someone who like just had another kid. Like it's, yeah, we'll talk more about that, uh, for that episode, but I can only imagine.
1: Yeah. I am simultaneously looking forward to it and not (laughs) and dreading it. But besides that, those are the only couple things I have. Uh, in that area but is there anything else you've been reading watching besides what we're talking about here tonight
0: yeah i actually uh so i just got back from i took a week-long trip to costa rica it was my first time down there uh my wife and my in-laws went down there and that was an amazing time if you ever have the time money or the inclination to go down there you definitely should it's amazing uh, it was very relaxing definitely what we needed for the last uh of uh this past year it was good respite from all of that but uh on the plane ride there and back i did have time to knock out some reading that i've been meaning to get done for a while and watch some stuff that i had rented from itunes i finally finished salem's lot by stephen king it was the second book he's ever published i think he wrote that one right after carrie in the 70s and uh I liked it a lot and I liked the, like obviously the spooky stuff and the vampire stuff was good and was well written. But like he, the way he structures the book is every couple chapters is just like a third person omniscient narrative. Look at like all the people in this town that is just being descended upon by evil vampires and like them going about their day-to-day lives and like what's happening to them and how the, the vampire stuff is affecting them. And it's very like almost a kinsian in in its way of looking at like just the men mundane like everyday life stuff and it like i could read like a whole book of him writing stuff like that where it's not even really like that scary it's just and this guy is like struggling to make his car payment and this person's like wondering if you know is uh this person's wondering if her husband's cheating on her or something like it's just a very like he gets in the minds of all these characters like very easily
1: nothing is more more horror inducing than the horror of real life
0: Oh, yeah. And that's a the big theme for a lot of his stuff. I feel like that's why a lot of people keep going back to, to him in addition to the, the spooky stuff. But uh, no, I read that. And then the other stuff I was watching was like some horror movies. But the one that stuck out the most to me was it's called The uh, Watcher um, and you can find it on Shutter or you can rent it from iTunes because apparently I have a streak of every time that I find something that I want to rent on iTunes, it immediately becomes available on a streaming service two days later. But that is about a woman who moves to Romania with her husband. But then she notices that there's a guy in the apartment complex across from them who is watching them. And so she... I first thought it was just a weird fluke, but then later it turns into, like, a weird stalking situation, and, like, no one believes her, and it becomes very much like a Rosemary's Baby, like, paranoid-type thriller situation, where, like, the whole time you're like, is she imagining this? Is she, like, seeing things, or is this actually real, and, like, no one's taking her seriously? And it was pretty good. I liked it a lot. Um, It's a nice, quick 95-minute movie, uh, which I feel like they don't really make enough of anymore. dying breed but uh yeah i like that one a lot and i put a review of that on my Letterbox if you want to go check that out but that is watcher on shutter and sitcoms lot by stephen king
1: yeah honestly during your trip i saw some of the Letterbox reviews you were posting and i was trying to figure (laughs) out which one of these is like the plane movie that you it was
0: a lot of it was a lot of hotel watches because we were looking for stuff that like either we knew and we could like understand along in spanish or it was just the only thing on tv that was in english like one night it was don't mess with the zohan and i was like wow how did this movie get made uh,
1: <laughs> adam sandler has the money that's how so much money well on my side speaking of hotel watching on that trip last week something that broke a bit of the the, the atmosphere was I finally discovered Bluey, uh, yes. watching it on Gis- Disney in the morning while we were getting ready to go. And so uh, my son loves that and the whole family loves it because it is just a little shining ray of light. And honestly, the like three episodes in eating breakfast in the hotel, it <laughs> had Haley and me and Stitches. there's one episode that just we are doubled over crying it was so great some just slapstick stuff and then with little kids i remember you told me about the show a while back and it's better than i thought it could be i mean even even for not just like a children's program but it's one of those things where you know the animation is for the children but it's also for the adults kind of a bit pixar like and this is exactly what bluey is so we are a bluey family now
0: <laughs> um, the episodes are so short too. You can just
1: go through a lot of them oh yeah they're so bite-sized you know if i need, my son wants me to like hey take a break from working i'm like oh i'm sure we can watch oh. bluey it's great nice but otherwise i am in the middle of watching the pianist uh, yeah i'm in the, mm-hmm. with the middle of it because you know i have mm-hmm. the two kids i have to work around and <laughs> i take whatever time i can get i Started watching that over the weekend as part of a thing I've been doing, kind of like a Saturday night movie series to try and watch movies that I haven't seen before or should have really seen by now is kind of the criteria. And I actually kicked that off at the beginning of August with one of the movies we're discussing today, which we'll get to in a moment. Yeah. But other than that, I think we should get into the whole reason we're here. What are we talking about today, Jake?
0: Yeah, so we're going to be talking about three things. We're going to be talking about Out of the Past from 1947 uh, with Robert Mitchum and Kirk Douglas. And then we're going to be talking about The Big Sleep, the book by Raymond Chandler. And then finally, we're going to get to Doodlebug, the little three-minute short that Christopher Nolan did right before he made Following. So we'll be talking a little bit about how they all relate to, sometimes to each other, sometimes to Following, and other times just how they influence nolan and stuff after following as well
1: yeah yeah and if anyone's looking for a particular reason why we chose these it's assuming you've listened to the first episode you're talking about the nolan variations i hope so out of the past nolan calls it out as quote an extraordinary brilliant film and very influential on following seems like a good one to to watch before we do that uh Mm -hmm. the big sleep we talk about how Raymond Chandler's work was pretty influential with the, the noir of it all and then doodle bug. Yeah. It's a, the, <laughs> the third a, short film the he first, made. The, 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 yeah. But right before he, uh, he, released following. So kind of goes without saying if you ask me, mm-hmm. so let's and, get and to it.
0: That hold all the secrets of Christopher. No, I don't know. That short might hold some secrets. Maybe not. We'll see. Oh, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to the secrets. (laughs) (laughs) So, Out of the Past, uh, give us a brief synopsis of that.
1: Brief synopsis prefaced by a blanket spoiler alert for anything we're about to discuss from here on out. You've been warned. Oh, yeah, for sure. If you don't want any spoilers for this 70-year-old movie. But here (laughs) we go. Yeah, Out of the Past, released in 1947, directed by Jacques Dreneur. Starring Robert Mitchum, Jane Greer, and Kirk Douglas, black and white, 97 minutes. IMDB tells us it's a private eye escapes his past to run a gas station in a small town, but his past catches up with him. Now he must return to the big city world of danger, corruption, double crosses, and duplicitous dames.
0: I can't wait. I love the alliteration. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) So how
1: did you watch this movie, Jake? Have you seen it before?
0: Funnily enough, I had never seen this before. It had been on my list for a long time, and I actually bought a Blu-ray of it back during the pandemic when I was looking for more more films that I hadn't seen. That's a big favorite of mine, so that was a big big blind spot for me for that genre. But due to some house problems that I've been having recently, I haven't really been able to get to the Blu-ray player that I have, so I ended up watching it on HBO and if you want to find that it's on hbo max so before they start deleting a bunch of other stuff off of the service you can go find it there if you want to watch that and the transfer was pretty good too it was uh, it looked really good on uh both my phone and the tv that i watched on.
1: <laughs> yeah and i also had never seen it before honestly i had never heard of out of the past until i read the nolan variations don't know how that happened You know, growing up watching TCM, but it doesn't matter. The boy matters is I've seen it now. So I rented it off of Amazon and I actually got to watch it with my mom. She was visiting the weekend. I've decided to watch it and it's been a while since I got to watch any kind of classic film with her because that's something we we grew up doing and and love to do. Watching TCM and listening to Robert Osborne's introductions and his outros and just learning all the different things about the movies so i invited her to watch with me and i don't think she had ever seen it before so uh it was just like the good old days and it was really great and we actually stopped a couple times through to look up the noir alley introductions noir alley is a regular oh yeah yeah program hosted mm-hmm. by noir expert eddie Muller weekly on tcm so because she was bringing up all these, that's cool. Just talking about how all the stuff Eddie Muller knows, and I said, "Well, let's find it." So I brought up YouTube, and we watched some of his discussions and critiques. So that was interesting. Including, I guess, if we want to jump into talking about what we thought, um, yeah, let's do it. Eddie Muller said that he thought it was like for his money the best film noir ever, if I'm remembering correctly, and. I also found a, a podcast that is all about film noir called Out of the Podcast, and on their episode about this, they pretty much had the same conclusion. So, got some uh, pretty well known or well versed folks giving their take on that. And honestly, I'd have to agree this movie was insanely great.
0: Yeah, it. I would probably say the the Big Sleep movie, the original one with Bogart, is probably my favorite one but this one was like probably just like the best executed like you mentioned off mic just about like it's every noir trope you could find like it's there but it works and it's really good and like i just found myself being like oh yeah that's good like such a great distillation of like you got the detective who's in too deep but also one step ahead and is trying to claw his way out you got the duplets of dames and uh, the femme fatale and then you got you know just the hero who's trying to to do well but he can't because the system is just dragging him back in and tearing him down and then just i found the back half of this just the plot was pretty easy to follow for the first 45 minutes and the back half of it i was just like wow everyone is double crossing everyone (laughs) and the amount of like people are you know outright lying to other characters and then those characters are then taking what they thought was the truth from that lie and then lying to another person uh so it's just like a web of deception that does not end well for anyone because again it's noir, right but i loved it it was it was great definitely gonna go Erna mentioned in the, the favorite first watch uh column of the month for me But uh, one thing that I did really, really like was uh, just the dialogue. Like, oh, my God. (laughs) That's the first thing I wrote, too. uh, Yeah. On my notes. Yeah. So many good one liners and just it's quick. It's like it's not as quick as a screwball comedy, but almost at the same like pacing and the same intent.
1: Yeah. I mean, with Robert Mitchum, it's so laconic, but yeah, it it doesn't matter. It's he just delivers everything so calmly and coolly and it's as entertaining as all hell um Mm -hmm. yeah i'm glad you mentioned the dialogue should we just get it over with read it i'm going to read some of the lines from here and get it out of the way before yeah i bring everything to a dead halt so jane greer's character kathy is playing some roulette Mm -hmm. and robert mitchum's detective jeff he says that's not the way to win and she says is there a way to win and he says there's a way to lose more slowly yeah then there's kirk douglas playing the, i love him as a gangster <laughs> oh he's what i say he's a he's a smooth smooth bad guy he's so smooth and so threatening but he says at one point joe couldn't find a prayer in the bible
0: i love that one yeah <laughs> and, then, and like the whole thing where like he he knows that jeff is has run off with kathy he knows he's lying when he says he can't find her down in mexico but He's cool and calm enough and like just knows what's going on, even till the end where he hires him for the other job, and then that all becomes a big frame setup, but he's very calm for everything.
1: Yeah, and I guess while we're talking about good old wit sterling, um, there's something I didn't really expect. There's a scene <laughs> where uh when Jeff tracks down Kathy, who's been on the run in Mexico, Ooh, you know, he yeah. meets up with okay. her yeah. and They fall for each other and they're getting ready to run off. And then all of a sudden the morning they're getting ready to go. Wit shows up at Jeff's door and the tension in that scene. I was like, I unexpectedly unbelievably on edge. It was great. I was
0: excruciating for something to happen or someone to find out what was going on. I kept waiting like every time he looks at the door and it's a woman that kind of looks like her and he just gets like, like you get shocked too like oh no is that her too like and it's it's so good it's just a great exercise and like hitchcockian exactly so
1: yeah i mean obviously building tension keeping tension easy uh to see any kind of influence on nolan there yeah since that's what we're talking about
0: but i also think it's very nolan took the recursive nature of stories and like themes and stuff like it begins with the kid at the gas station essentially telling someone about where jeff is and then it ends with him back at the gas station telling someone about what he was planning to do then it just ends on the shot of the gas station for jeff bailey and it was like well who is who is he and then it just kind of (laughs) cuts and that's how it ends but like it all comes back to the beginning where it started at which Nolan is a fan of and then you had said the the non-linear story format too right yeah. like the
1: good chunks are told um, in flashback which counts that's mm-hmm. non-linear
0: <laughs> yeah yeah like at first i thought that the whole thing was going to take place in the car ride and he was it was going to end with him showing back up to Kirk Douglas but most of the time it was just going to be like him telling the first part of it in flashback to and which i think still would have been pretty cool but then it eventually meets up with present day and then it just moves forward but yeah i don't know how many movies i mean obviously like citizen kane did that it was not the first movie to do that but it was the biggest example of that and that came out before out of the past but where citizen kane like was a fragmented narrative where like the entry point into that is the journalist looking to figure out the guy's life story so he goes like from here to there and it's multiple people giving him interviews but you don't really see a lot of like flashback narrative stories from that time frame
1: right right but yeah i i really appreciated the structure of how everything was done but honestly you know I'm trying to write up some talking points and notes for this i'd really didn't know what else to say because it's just a perfect distillation of noir honestly you know every trope you can think of it's there it's amazing and I I tried to take some notes while watching it I had my computer pulled up but I didn't really take any good notes while I was watching which I think is a great credit to how you know engrossing and absorbing it was it shot so incredibly well it's so great to look at like the transfer like you said was great but the actual like film of it, the photography is wonderful. Yeah. The performances were just so great. So I took just fragmented notes like uh, the kid uses sign language. So I said ASL, American Sign Language in 1947 representation matters. <laughs> Talked about how, Again, how smooth Kirk Douglas was and then at one point when we find out that Kathy has had the money all along, Jeff finds this out by seeing a slip bank slip. Uh, It was just one transaction for $40,000. I I said just that much in one account. Who is she?
0: Floyd Mayweather? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) She got money. Um, Yeah, you mentioned the photography and the cinematography. The thing that sticks with me is Kathy raising the gun up that was in the shadow. And then you see it and it's in full light. And then she shoots and then it just goes back down and you can watch it go back into the shadows. That was really cool. And then just like... All of the cinematography, really, I thought was really good. It captured the shadow and the lights. And like, there's a lot of debate on whether noir is like, is it the shadows and the blinds and the lights, or is it like a mentality? And this definitely is both. But it, uh, yeah, because a lot of it takes place in the daytime. But they get a lot of good night cinematography here in this movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're in Mexico for a good bit. You know, you yeah. get, you'll get more sun drenched than yeah. that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> otherwise, some of the only other things I meant to say is it definitely makes good on the past being inescapable. It's kind of like a standard yeah. noir theme. But again, this it's just so excellently done. You can't really argue with it.
0: And also a big Nolan theme that you see in like Memento, Insomnia, Following to an extent, The Prestige, really like pretty much every like in almost every one of his movies, there's a an element that the past is never quite done with you, no matter how many times you try to run from it
1: yeah definitely and with this story with old Jeff Bailey the one of the few notes I did take was actually like who's Jeff Bailey when people were looking for him the first few minutes were they're trying to find find him and the answer is he's a typical noir hero he's trying to do the right thing he's trying to do good within Mm -hmm. a crooked system that he can't escape but in this one he kind of ends up winning a little bit of a pyrrhic victory considering
0: yeah is the end yeah. he meets but but, he, but he's not a part of the system anymore yeah you know? so. yeah
1: it's kind of a reverse of the you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain he, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. he kind of dies a villain at least in ann's perspective instead of you know, instead of a hero so i'll have a little more thoughts on kind of ties yeah to the end of the dark Knight in a little bit because there's there's more but otherwise the only other following thought i had on this was they do have a frame up for jeff here they try to catch him in that except uh jeff here
0: is smart enough to realize he's being played (laughs) so yes he's very good at his job and he's very good at letting other people know that he's very good at his job
1: yeah so i guess before we move on to the big sleep there was something we wanted to try to do for each movie we watched during this whole series we're going to try and like each pull a letterbox review that we liked (laughs) just read it out and then move along so I have one here if if you don't mind oh yeah yeah i i was skimming through them last night you know sometimes it's easy just to go get the top ones which are most popular for a reason but i had to scroll just a little bit to find this it's actually from a few days ago (laughs) but uh user uh rajan awasti wrote uh you gotta really hate someone to kill them while they're driving the car you are in (laughs) I read that and I I uh, was busting a gut for several minutes straight, no lie. So, uh, well done, <laughs> Rajan, on that review.
0: I love the just pithy letterbox reviews because that's kind of the same boat that mine's in. Mine's from uh, David Ehrlich from uh, IndieWire, and his says, "True or false." This film is better than a woman's touch. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it is that good, but it is damn near perfect movie, in my opinion.
1: I completely agree. Well, let's keep going. Moving on to The Big Sleep. The book, not the
0: movie. Do you want to take this one, Jake? Tell us a little bit about it. Well, let me see if I can remember The absolutely labyrinthian plot to this book. So, it is a, uh, it's the first uh, Philip Marlowe novel from Raymond Chandler. And it starts off with Marlowe being asked by a general to track down his daughter, which he agrees to. But after he does that, the guy's other daughter sees him in the lobby and hits on him. And he is kind of. Intrigued, freaked out by that a little bit, but then he goes along his merry way, and then the way that he tracks down this woman just sends him through like all over LA, all over just the underbelly and stuff. Well, Looks more some photos he's trying to track down, crime. some blackmail, right? Yeah, yeah, some blackmail and some some other stuff. And he it just sends him all over the city and it's just the it's a lot like out of the past too, where like, it's just like people are double crossing each other. People are lying. People are lying the lie to cover up another lie. Like, and it, he just gets in too deep way over his head always. And then until it comes to a violent conclusion, as it always does. Of course. Yes. And then I'm really trying hard to remember the, the whole rest of this plot because it's a lot uh going on i'm confusing the movie with the book too at some point we can fill it, it in as we as we like
1: talk it. about it i think so it's, yeah it's, it's fresh for me um, yeah because there's this there's the a lot of great reading it for me but you'd read it before yeah,
0: yeah. there's a lot of great potboiler dialogue in here too that i that i love that even the movie versions of this just like lift wholesale from the book
1: oh uh, yeah and it's great Actually, in the Nolan Variations, he uh, Tom Schoen quotes Raymond Chandler as saying something to the effect of when I got into writing some of the fiction here, I was using a lot of detail and imagery and my editors would cut that out because they said people didn't want to read that. So I set out to prove them wrong. And from the first few pages, boy, does he ever go after that? And it's great. It's great through the whole way, you know, just yeah. the details of describing things and then all of Marlowe's famous similes and metaphors of, of everything. Man, it sets the scene and you're there and it's kind of, um, no, I, yeah. Like just, right
0: I, from the first, the yeah. first couple sentences is like, he gives you the time of the day, the season, the month, what the weather was like in LA that day, exactly what it was wearing. He, it's very descriptive about it all.
1: Yeah. And what I'm trying to think of is actually, what i wrote about it on goodreads is kind of the feel of it as you go through it like reading it now today it's kind of like okay it seems pretty conventional and stuff but that's kind of the price it has to pay for being such a milestone i guess of the genre
0: all the things yeah that, it's kind it of yeah like not to bring up citizen kane again but like <laughs> right. the watching it now is kind of like eating your, like, movie vegetables or whatever because you're just like, well, I've I've seen all this stuff before. Like, I know, like, I've seen, like, the focus rack on the camera, and I've seen movies that kind of jumble the narrative, but, like, y- you don't get Pulp Fiction without Citizen Kane, just because, like, that was one of the first movies to do all of that. Like, all of the tricky camera stuff that you can see now comes from that, so it's one of those things where, like, the genre owes a lot to it, but reading it or watching something like that now, you're kind of just like, yeah, like, but it at the time was like revolutionary.
1: Right. And I kind of had this thought too when I watched Psycho uh, again for the first mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. last mm-hmm. month since it's such a a trope a parody to do a riff of the shower scene and things like that. But for things like yeah. that whether it's for Psycho or for noir tropes, for me the success of it is if I'm encountering this for the first time and does it work? Does it still hold up and these things do? So they're, they're copied and spoofed endlessly for a reason. And it's because they're that good. And the, the book here, the big sleep is, and to talk about a little bit more about Philip Marlowe as a character, you know, he's the tough as nails guy. He's called a son of a bitch. I don't know how many times in this book, but I pretty regularly kept thinking of the part in the Nolan variations where Nolan is talking about how they lifted Servico like wholesale for Batman begins talking about the how can you be clean in a world that's dirty and the answer here for Marlo in this book is that and in, in noir generally is you have to like harden yourself on the outside no matter your ethics or your morals you have those that guide you but you have to really be diamond tough on the outside to survive or get anything done otherwise in a situation like that you're going to get eaten up really fast
0: yeah for sure and with the like out of the past the system will consume you always
1: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and then one other thing i noticed is uh so in addition to the blackmail plot that really gets things moving so actually Marlowe sorts that out really quick a couple murders happen those are kind of solved but so about halfway through the book the initial case he was hired to resolved by this this old general is done and you're thinking well what now and yeah. the funny thing is chandler keeps throwing it in your face you know he keeps repeating the ex-husband of one of the daughters you know it's kind of gone off and the old yeah, general yeah. sternwood really liked him his name's rusty rusty reagan and he you know he misses the guy and that's not what Marlo was hired for first, but all the people Marlowe's talking to are like, "Wait, are you looking for Rusty Reagan?" He's like, "No, I'm not. I'm doing this other thing," <laughs> and it comes up the whole time. So, I, I had a really, really stupid thought, as as I am to do, and I thought, "Hey, look at me. I'm Raymond Chandler. Could I be talking any more about Rusty Reagan?" <laughs> and he kind of was just pointing you to it to be like, "Here's what this book is really about," because Rusty Reagan's disappearance. Is what leads us to the conclusion all the way through, and it turns out that Sternwood's other daughter, Carmen, the twenty-year-old, has a bit of some some mental health problems, and just a little bit, just a little bit. So she tried to, at the very end, it's revealed, you know, she tried to hit on Rusty. He resisted her advances, and so she gets him out to take her to learn how to shoot, and. She gets the gun and instead of shooting at a can, she points it at him and kills him, dumps him in a sump. And she tries to do the same thing to Marlo, but Marlo's smart enough to give her a gun with just blanks in it. And then he explains all this to uh, Vivian, the the sister who was married to Rusty, because she knew about it the whole time. So anyway, (laughs) it's kind of funny because, uh, because Nolan mentions that in the Nolan variations saying in Raymond Chandler, he's very upfront about those kinds of switchbacks and double crosses. The whole point is you're being lied to. And as far as influences on Nolan, uh, he says, you know, it was like a light bulb going off for me. Chandler was thinking about the actual linear experience that is driving everything. It's not the plot. It's the point of view of the story. And as far as point of view goes, Marlowe couldn't be a better narrator for for the story that we get to experience that through. And it's a great great
0: experience yeah because he's especially with the thought experiments and stuff that he does with tom Schoen in the book like he is very concerned with truth and very concerned with like what is the most rational outcome of this thing like we talked about the how do you explain the concept of left and right to someone if you can't use the words left and right yeah. Um, and then like he also does a lot of like if you try to I think I mentioned this in the last episode like if you just Google something go to the like 10th result page and see how many results it says that there are but then work your way back to like page one and then see how many pages you can go where you actually get like good results like his quest to find like what is actually there and like what is true is there but yeah i agree with you like this is also it's not really like the truth it's more like the tone of trying to get at what the actual like the truth of the world is and the truth of the idea
1: yeah yeah absolutely and i think that brings us pretty well to the end of the big sleep like the very very end just absolutely hit me full force mm-hmm. it's barlow's like final, yeah i do you
0: like that that final line
1: yeah practically the final line. Yeah. He says he's musing on a very existential monologue where he, where he mentions the title of the book, the big sleep, you know, what does it matter where you lay? Once you were dead, you're dead, you're sleeping in the big sleep. But then he says me, I was part of the nastiness now far more a part of it than Rusty Reagan was, but the old man didn't have to yeah. be because, because this general really, really wanted to eventually did hire him to try and find Rusty. But Marlowe knew that was a fool's errand because he had figured out that Rusty was dead. But he didn't want to disappoint this old man on the point of death. So he doesn't, the implication is he's not going to tell General Sternwood about this. So that hit me so hard because, I mean, that's that's the ending of The Dark Knight. That's the end monologue from, from Batman, you know? Yeah, Sometimes the truth yeah. isn't good enough. Sometimes people deserve to have their faith reported. And mm-hmm. it does it there in the big sleep. And it does it in Out of the Past. Like I said, the ending is a bit of an inverse of The Dark Knight Rises. The, the hero kind of gets the bad guy towards them. But instead of making everybody think he's dead, he makes them think he's still alive. At least for Anne, he does. And so, again, that kind of echoes the the real truth of it, that he's died trying to get Kathy hers. It's all that as well. So Tom Jones also writes about Out of the Past as well. A lie trumps the truth. And he mentions, he ties that to following too, as we'll see uh, next week, next time. But instead of a lie trumping the truth to be, to give someone kind of peace in this case for out of the past, Nolan flips that a lie trumps the truth and following to get somebody to take the fall for another crook. Yes. I guess going all this Nolan talk, let's talk about. Something Nolan actually made for the first time.
0: Hey, the first one on the podcast.
1: Yeah, a little bit surreptitiously, we're sliding it in here. Uh, (laughs) So Doodlebug, we see it's released in 1997, directed, and shot, and edited, and written by Christopher Nolan, and starring (laughs) Jeremy Theobald, Jeremy Theobald, and Jeremy Theobald. uh, Done in black and white on 16 millimeter. It's three minutes long. And the IMDb synopsis pretty much covers that three minutes. In his squalid apartment, a man tries to squash with his shoe an insect of some kind that is moving around the room. So, have you seen this before, Jake?
0: I have not. The only way that I think you could find that was on, uh, I think there might be a YouTube version of it, but I watched it on the Criterion channel, because, again, I do have the Criterion following Blu-ray, but have not really been able to use the TV with the Blu-ray player, but uh, it's on Criterion channel. If you have that, it looked really good. It was fun. They have that there as a part of the following package that they have on the channel there. So you can watch the movie and also watch the short uh, if you want to. And there's also some bonus features hanging out on there as well. Um, And that was the first time I'd ever seen it.
1: Yeah. And I had seen it, I believe, when I did my first watch through of the Nolan filmography about, 10 or so years ago and i think it was included on whatever i rented to watch following but it'd been a while so yeah the plot of this is just like imdb said it was we open on a guy shifting his eyes trying to seemingly crush a bug with his shoe and it eventually turns out that's it's a little tiny version of what looks to be himself and he's trying to squash it and finally corners this little tiny doppelganger and gets him, crushes him with his shoe. But while he's smiling about that, finally solving that problem, a big version of his own face floats in behind him and crushes him with a bigger shoe. So, very recursive. What I what I wrote on Letterbox for this was basically from stylistically, you, there's so many threads here you can pick up, you can see what Nolan does with them in the future, and it, if you know what to look, you're looking for it's it's very very interesting. Only three minutes, but there's a lot of things in there. And speaking of Letterbox, it leads me to, I'll just get my review for that one out of the way, which yeah. uh, was done by, is I think it's one of the most popular ones by user uh, IAD, A-Y-A-D. And they say, uh, this has the ticking sound from Dunkirk, the telephone ringing from Memento, the brooding and sadness from Interstellar, and the mindfuck from Inception. Did Christopher <laughs> Nolan create a short movie about all his movies before all his movies became movies? whoa (laughs) and that about sums it up honestly
0: yeah everything well that was the first thing that i noticed when i watched i was like everything was pretty much there in some form like maybe deep in his subconscious but it was there like at the beginning like the unsettling weird imagery like that phone being just like shoved in the fishbowl to silence it like that sticks with me almost as much as that final shot where he realizes that the even bigger fish is coming to hit him and squash him. There is that. And then there's like the, where the clocks that you see two clocks throughout uh, this thing too. So like already the, the preoccupation with time is there. I could have sworn those clocks were showing two different times, but I need to go back and rewatch it. But if they were, that's an interesting bug to it. And then the, I was also reminded of Memento too, just the way it opens with him like in just that small, squalid apartment echoes a lot of like how Memento is just this guy in a hotel room or a motel room, and you're just immediately dropped right in there, and like you don't know what's going on except that this guy has clearly got something going on, and it's in a really small, enclosed space as a reflection of his mental state.
1: Yeah, you can and then kind also feel that, that um... yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I noted that, like, you'd really feel the claustrophobia of the room, and it's obviously just reflecting the the state of mind that the character has that you see. And I immediately thought of something that Nolan said in, in the Nolan Variations about, I think he was talking about either Batman Begins or The Prestige, I think it was the chapter on space, so hmm. in terms of physical space, not outer space. Outer space, uh, yeah. <laughs> But he's talking about some point of view stuff and where you place the camera. He says, for me, it's very clear that if the camera backs up beyond the point where the audience knows the wall is, they just know you've cheated. The way I tend to tell stories, you want the constriction. You want to feel you're in the space. That's your ultimate prize as a storyteller, a locked room mystery, an impossible situation. How do you get out of it? Come up with a good answer to that. It's gold. So, you know, that very much he held to that here. And it's he, he makes you feel
0: it. (laughs) yeah and then the other thing i noticed too is a lot like what we've been talking about with out of the past and following especially is it ends right back where it starts with another person squashing another person and presumably once the bigger doodlebug squashes the human-sized doodlebug there'll even be a bigger giant one just to kind of go like turtles all the way down like where does it stop exactly um, yeah just like out of the past following and with some of his other movies too which i thought was really interesting how that all was kind of like fully formed right there too at the beginning
1: yeah yeah definitely and otherwise the only other thing that i noted about it is it's um like i noticed like you know, the grain of the film right when it starts and you kind of like really feel it with it being like the low budget of it all you know because yeah it's had to do this with anything it could find. And while I was trying to find that other quote about space just now, I ran across another great one when he was actually talking about following, but it applies the same here. He said, there's a tone to no budget films that you can't necessarily get around. It's always an eerie quality that they have. There's a kind of blankness or emptiness in the production that becomes a little bit eerie. And so just the the circumstances of the production here, like, make this a little bit more unsettling than it already kind of
0: was. So I think music too, man, like that music goes a long way to like helping the tone here too.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. David Julian. Yes. All the, all the collaborators are here. The early ones, you know, um, you know, Emma Thomas produces David Julian doing the music, all the, uh, the, the film school friends. And of course, Jonah Nolan makes an appearance (laughs) on the credits. He was the grip. And like only a teenager at the time or only just recently being a teenager. So for him. definitely a solid given what we know is coming, a solid little film covers a whole lot of things that, that we know are going to be expanded on in all the features we're about to watch. And as far as noir in general, I'm not saying anything uh, that nobody's ever heard <laughs> before, but the shadow kind of of like the big sleep and the whole genre just absolutely towers over these, the first three Nolan features, uh, especially if you know, oh, so yeah. that's what we're going to yeah. be doing soon. So I feel like this is a really good start. Is there anything else you wanted to say about all these things?
0: Just that they, they all hinge on like, twists, right? Like not necessarily like wanting to pull the rug out from under the viewer or the reader, but they're all very plot driven and they all are very dependent upon twists, but but I think a big thing that you can say about all of these things is that you can look at them as like pure genre exercises like the same way you could look at something like The Prestige or Insomnia as just good examples of like here's a mystery movie and here's a period piece or here's just like a detective yarn. But if you wanted to look deeper into them, you could find a lot more emotional significance and you could also do that with these two, especially with like doodlebug. You can look at like, you know, what is the futility of existence with (laughs) completing one task only to be like eaten up by the next thing or, you know, like there's always going to be a bigger fish or something like that. And then like, especially with out of the past and big sleep, the concept of always kind of striving to be good and do something that contributes to society or try and figure out a way to rectify your past with your present, even though like the current system that you're a part of is never going to let you do that. Like, how do you live that way? So those all work on like a a narrative structure level and also kind of like a deeper emotional level if you wanted to go that way. But if you don't, they're still perfectly enjoyable if you just want to like enjoy it on a surface level, which I think is something that could be said for Nolan's filmography as a whole as well
1: man that's fantastic I think that's a great place to end it Jake well then I I have nothing else to add to that I I wholeheartedly agree <laughs> the, the podcast where we're never going to argue about anything we are I'm truly glad friends. I'm glad you agree we got two <laughs>
0: two non-confrontational uh friends here and one to just talk about movies <laughs> we're never going to argue about anything no I might I might fight uh <laughs> Later, when we get to, I don't know, Darn Night Rises or something. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see what goes on.
1: We'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. Well, with that, where can people find us, Jake? Uh,
0: yeah, you can find us. We're on Instagram and Twitter. We're at friendsatduskpod on Instagram and Twitter. We are just Friends at Dusk. Uh, And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at jakeharris4 and on Letterboxd where I have my review of Doodlebug and Out of the Past and lots and lots and lots of lots of other movies. Uh, You can find me at 808jake underscore. And where can they find you, Marshall?
1: I am on Instagram at marshall.doig, on Twitter at marshalldoig, and on Letterboxd at mdoig. So you can find... My review of Doodlebug, my review of Out of the Past that will be added by the time we release this, <laughs> and not as many movies as Jake, but still some reviews for some other ones as I grow my burgeoning letterboxed obsession.
0: <laughs> I can quit so, anytime I want.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Just uh, let me do a few more. So please uh, like and subscribe. Leave us a rating and a review. Hopefully you have nice things to say. But I understand if you don't, I guess. Uh, And you can find our list of resources in the show notes of the things we are going to be watching next. Pretty obvious next time we'll be here, we'll be discussing Christopher Nolan's first feature film, Following.
0: Yeah, and uh, as of this recording, we should be on Apple Podcasts pretty much everywhere else. You can find a podcast. You can just search Friends at Dusk and give us a download. And also, as Marshall said, give us a rating and subscribe.
1: All right. Well, that's uh, that's another one as we move along. Thanks, Jake. I think that'll do it for us. And we'll see you next time on Friends at Dusk. Thanks for listening.
0: All right. Thanks, y'all.
1: Bye.